Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This guy says we're pivot. You understand just how we living. This for me is like rap religion. Hope I'm on beat because we got this guy. When it comes to this, y'all, I can get it hype. When it comes to this, y'all, calm has risen. How you living, huh? Yo, how you living, pivot? What up, JP? Can you hear me, buddy? I got you, brother. Sorry, How are you? I didn't mean to make you wait, man. Why are you saying sorry? Get the hell out of here. I'm on black people time anyway, so, you know, I always run, you know. <laughs> You're immediately starting with the subject that I feel so comfortable with. <laughs> but but I got to be honest with you. It's like... <sighs> Growing up in an integrated environment, not knowing what racism was until my football coach said, you're going to hear the N-word out there today. And I went, what the, what the hell is he talking about? It's so funny. You just said that I'm on black people time and I want to immediately hit you with something for my brother that I think is funny, right? Yep. But I just stopped myself. Because yeah. because what you and I think is funny could bury me. Dude, trust me. I talk for five fucking hours every day. Every day, JP. And we hit on, like today, we had a conversation about whether the black community really accepts Tiger Woods or not. And the whole, yeah, the whole, well, and the whole conversation came around that he doesn't consider himself to be black. He considers himself to be a mixture of his mother and his father, which in reality is true. Like both my kids are, my wife is Lebanese and Italian. I am African-American. So like, I often think about all these racial type of conversations when my daughter comes home from school, her, her name is Amelia. And she's like, daddy. I look like mommy, I'm not you. And I'm like, but you're light skin, honey. And people visually are going to think that you are black and you are black and you should be proud of the heritage that we have. You know, I'm Nigerian and what that means for our family, but you should also be proud of the heritage that your mom has being Lebanese and Italian. But the sensitivities around that conversation, like the complexities around it, even with Tiger Woods today, it feels like you're walking on eggshells. And you're right. It isn't something that now you can joke around with because somebody's always going to be offended, Jeremy. Like always. And, and by the way, by the way, that would be okay if we weren't living in these times because it's not about offending people. It's about the ramifications. It's about the tax on offending people. That's what's so crazy. You know, it's like I see you and I feel incredibly comfortable and I want to say everything that's on my mind. And the reality is we're being documented right now and I have to hold my tongue. And, you know, man, it's 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 a tough conversation to unpack because, you know, you're talking about your kids and 
you're, 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 it's so interesting because you just named so many different backgrounds. You know, it's like they're, they're, you know, an every man and every woman, you know, which is, which is amazing. And yet we're living in these sensitive times where people, it's so interesting that corporations and the media, everyone's operating out of fear. And you know, as an elite athlete, that is the worst place to operate from. You will, you will execute on your lowest level. So I like, to, I like to categorize it as headlines and articles. So, you know, when I see people that are scrolling on their IG, you see an article because of all the shit that you have to do throughout the course of your day, because of the way that our minds are wired now, like we all have functioning ADHD to a degree, right? Um, there's so many shiny objects out there. You get distracted, you go from one to the other that people only read headlines. And it's almost the same thing with race, right? Like you don't take the time to say, oh, okay, like what is your actual background? It's cause there's not enough time in the day to do that. So the headline is visual. Oh, you're black. Oh, you're white. Or, and it's, um, those are the type of things that I get frustrated with because for me, like being black is not being monolithic, man. It's not being and that, that was our conversation around Tiger Woods is that because of where he came from, because of how affluent of a community he came from, he wasn't raised around other African-American kids. So not having that experience, how can you ever really relate to a culture when you're not around the culture? Like, like you and I have been around each other for so long. You've been around so many black people. Like, you're like a brother to me. Like, we talk that way to each other because you've been around it. But if you right. haven't grown up around it, you don't know how to even associate or conversate with it because it feels slightly awkward from your upbringing. And that's the challenge that comes along with the complexity of it. I understand that. And because I grew up in the culture, when I make when I speak, sometimes people look at me like I'm co-opting someone else's culture. And it's like, this is literally the way I speak. You know, it's like, number one, you're an old dude. Shut the fuck up. You know, stop, ta <laughs> stop talking like that, you know, and also, you know, and it's so interesting because this is the way I'm, this is the way I talk. And yet when people see me, they, they think white privilege, dude, I'm Jewish. I grew up in poverty under the poverty line in a, in a theater family where we were making no money. You know what I mean? Like we all come from somewhere and these conversations need to be had because, as you said, you know, we're living in a time right now where it's about the headlines and those headlines bury people from the jump. And we I just think if we start. It's so interesting because I'll tell you another thing that that no one is speaking of. And I don't know if we can even unpack it here because it's dangerous territory, which is because of the guilt, there is an overcorrection that is going on right now that no one is talking about. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, it's it's just it's fascinating because I, I hear and no one's talking about this. And, and you, you know, listen, they're just not hiring white people. And it's like, OK, cool. I get it. I get it because the reality is it's our job to hire ourselves. It's our job to be innovative. Right. But but if you heard that we're not hiring black people, that's fucked up. It. it, it it's it's it, and this is a tough conversation. 
No, I'm down to have tough conversations. I actually think tough conversations need to happen more and more. Is the overcorrection of the market too far one-sided? Probably, but it's also been too far one-sided for so long. Correct. That it, it feels like the pendulum needs to swing the opposite way for just a minute before it recorrects itself back towards the middle. And I, I think the it's so interesting you say, even the words white privilege, right, JP? Like uh, Charlemagne the God and I had a conversation about this and he started this little clothing line called Black Privilege. Like <laughs> <laughs> I talk about with some of my boys, like, yo, I'm all about nepotism, man. I'm all about, you know, creating businesses and then saying, hey, my daughter, you know, you're going to own this, you're going to win this one day in order for the, the market to be corrected to a degree where there feels like there's a balance. So is it, is it overly swung in one direction? Probably for sure. And it could be, look, I, I've seen corporations where people have weaponized it to their advantage. And I'm going to be honest with you, I get torn with it because in the way that capitalism works in our society, we preach that you have to go out and take what you want. And for so long, I feel like a lot of white people have been able to take what they want. So for me, there's this guilt and there's this fuck it, like I'm gonna eat. But that's how I see it for me. The thing that mm. fucks me up about it is when I talk to you, who's a brother to me, I'm like, well, damn, that's, it shouldn't be at his fault that this happens. But then like, I don't know how to balance that conversation, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, well, you said it, you said it. It's interesting because there hasn't been an even playing field for so long that the overcorrection now seems, and you said it, it seems right because it's been in balance for so long. But like the, when one of my boys, JP, comes up to me, he's like, yeah, you know, the, the companies aren't hiring white people. I'm like, well, a part of me, like, jumps right off the bat in my mind. I'm like, well, companies haven't had black people for a very ass long fucking time. Right. Like, this is how it feels. It sucks. Yeah. I know it sucks. I hear my dad. I hear my grandma. I hear my grandpa talk about it forever. But the empathetic side of me looks at you as a human being and says, yeah, it's fucked up. Because mm. it really is. But should I not take advantage of it? I, I don't, I think I can speak up on it to a degree like we're having this conversation because the conversation is not being held. But I hate that it puts people like you at a disadvantage because I don't feel like anybody should get a disadvantage. But at the same time, I think it helps people relate to fight that's been going on for so long because neither one of us have hate in our heart and we can we can see things for what they are and we can see the truth i grew up i remember my father going out of his way and this is a strange term and it sounds cliched or stupid his my father was was my acting teacher and a director and he always cast in a colorblind way in fact he would hire i remember all of our casts were um, very eclectic and he would hire, you know, a black guy to play opposite him. And it wasn't necessarily in the text in Shakespeare that King Lear was black. And he said to me, it's not an even playing field. And it wasn't, he wasn't preaching. I saw from his example, he hired this brilliant actor cause he didn't have the opportunity and he wanted to even the playing field. I saw that firsthand. 
So I saw it actualized in my life. So, and I also saw as a, a minority, and even there were, when I had my bar mitzvah, no one was, there weren't any Jewish kids around me. They'd never been to a bar mitzvah. I had these, I had these brothers taking a yarmulke and putting it in their blazers and throwing it as Frisbees. They didn't, no one knew what in God's name was happening. Right. So, I mean, my perspective is, is I, I think a great perspective in the way that I gravitated towards people because we found each other funny or interesting or whatever. That was it. You know, my homecoming king, the, the, our, he was the all-American wide receiver, um, and he used to bully me, and I put him on stage right now because there's a, a, a great joke that I do about him. But to see right now what's going on, to me, I see it, as you just said, it's necessary. And I don't, when I hear, when I'm shut out, and no one talks about this because they're not hiring white dudes, it's like, I get it. And it's also my job not to take that victim mentality and go f and and start to get angry. It's like this is this is part of the nature of the ebb and flow of what of 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 where we're at. So it's my job to to create my own opportunities and to not bitch about it. But I, I, look, first off, even though this is being recorded, I hope that people will recognize that when you're having a conversation from a place of love, this type of dialogue should be accepted because it's an ongoing process for you in evolution. And just like it is for me as a person. So let me give you some insight to me for a second, JP. Like, yeah, my dad is one of 10 from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. His mom and dad never graduated from college, um, came from slavery, in the South before they like the real South, I'm talking about like not Florida, but like North, like Georgia, that part, right. Before they fled down to Florida. And so didn't have a formal education. Every one of my parents, uh, every one of my uncles and uh, aunts all graduate from college 10, they all graduate from college. It was such a level of achievement. And growing up, my dad would always talk about, know, I am providing for you in the ways that our ancestors would dream of. My dad worked for American Express. Like I'll pull out my, I, I got the Centurion car. Like I've been an Amex <laughs> fan since the beginning of time. And one of the things that blew my mind was that my dad as a black executive, I met guys like Ken Chanel, who was like the first black CEO that I ever met in my life. And I was like, oh shit, like I could, I could be that one day. But see, I had a different issue because for me growing up, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood. But because my parents went to send me to private school, I was one of a handful of black kids that went to this all white private school. So there was an identity crisis for me. I'm curious if you, to a degree, being Jewish kind of felt this way. Because when I was around my black friends and if I talked about things that were affluent in my neighborhood, which was a lower income neighborhood, it's almost like I got reamed. I got called being an Uncle Tom. I got called being, well, you're just a white boy, right? And, but when I would go to my school and if I wore like one of the jackets, like a FUBU jacket or something that we wore back home or because I played sports, 
oh, I was ghetto, I was hood. And almost felt like, yo, where do I even belong? Like, what does it even mean to be black? Like, is being black, like, can I talk about social issues? Can I talk about the economy, the stock market? Like, am I being white if I talk that way or if I use proper grammar? And I was conflated and I was fucked up in the mind for a while. Even going to school at Duke, it almost perpetuated the narrative. And Jalen Rose and I would talk about this. Like, he was like, oh, yeah, if you went to Duke, you were Uncle Tom's. Grant Hills, all these guys. And my dad would always try to have these deep conversations with me about, no, like, this is being Black. Being educated is being Black. Speaking proper English is being Black. Understanding the economy and the stock market it is being Black. This is being educated, man. And sometimes when I hear people refer to like these old styles of how we categorize, it just inflames that frustration that has existed in me for so long because there was a battle for identity for myself. Does that yeah. even make sense to a degree? It, may, it, 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 makes total, it makes total and absolute sense. And, you know, any type of racism is ignorance. It's it just you you are not you don't know about someone else. So from that lack of knowledge and it's you know it's 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 many other things. It's insecurity and hatred and and displaced aggression and all this crazy shit. But you know just to dismiss you and call you an Uncle Tom because you went to Duke because you're an elite athlete because you you had uh, an 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 eclectic kind of background where you were exposed to all these different cultures you know all it takes is i'm sure jalen hanging out with you now i'm sure you guys i'm sure that's your boy love. right exactly but when he looked at you at first it's like fuck that dude he's because you're an uncle an tom privilege there's an element of privilege and it's interesting even within the black community right like you know it's <laughs> if you are not around the culture to understand how the culture moves and if you are in this upper echelon, right, of living where you, you don't spend time with people that look like you, it's almost like you're alienated. Well, you're not really one of us because you don't understand the plight of what it takes to be raised that way as one of us. You know, it's uh, even when I'm on ESPN, man, some of the things that people say to me, I'm like, yo, man, like, why are we still here? Like, why are, why are we still dealing with the same shit? Like, don't we all aspire to be better and learn more? And like, isn't that our purpose? Right. And 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 I think the way forward is is having these conversations, man, where people are are just speaking their truth, no matter what it is, so that we can learn and understand each other. Don't go anywhere. How you live in J Piven will be right back after we pay some bills. When you think of champagne, you automatically think of that classic tall flute to pour it in, right? But what you didn't know is the flute is not the best way to drink champagne. Now, most world-class sommeliers actually prefer the tulip glass. It's very close to the common white wine glass because it allows the bubbles to fully develop and release the aromas. It's mind-blowing, right? Well, I bet you never heard of Blida, which is basically an oversized shot glass used by the traditional winemakers of the Champagne region. Who knew? I didn't know. 
Well, just as you probably never considered a wine glass or bleed of for champagne, I bet you've also never heard of EPC champagne. Now, EPC Champagne, this is the young French brand that is dusting off the aging image of Champagne and promoting ethics and sustainability over profits and quality over quantity. Finally, EPC is the fastest growing brand in Paris and is winning taste tests all over every competition across the globe. EPC not only offers innovative and contemporary drinking experience, it offers champagnes with complete transparency of production, something that is very rare with any champagne brand. EPC also understands the importance of health and responsible drinking, which is why all of their wines have low sugar content. It's lower than any of the other brands. And by the way, I just want to add that the lower the sugar, the lower the hangover. They're not claiming that, but I know that personally because I do a great deal of drinking. And I, anyway, I digress. They even have an award-winning sugar-free Blanc de Blanc. That's amazing. And don't miss out on their brand new rosé from Province. A rose bottle is absolutely beautiful and makes the perfect gift for any event. EPC will be available in the U.S. for the first time ever this year. But for the U.S., Pre-launch, EPC offers to discover its wines before anyone else. Just follow EPC Champagne on Instagram and you could win their full range of champagnes and their brand new rosé. Just follow EPC Champagne and you could be the proud owner of these prestigious wines before anyone else. How cool is that? You can't lose. All you guys have to do, follow EPC Champagne on Instagram to enter. Let's get after it. You're having to talk in sound bites every day and you're navigating it really well, I might add, because you're also an elite athlete in your story. And I have to apologize to you because when I first met you, I tried to impress you with my knowledge of you. And the reality was I was offensive to you and you were not triggered by it because I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. You were, you know, everything to us and you got in, 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 a, in a terrible accident that changed your course. And like a dummy, I thought, oh, I'm going to impress you with my knowledge of you. And the reality was I was reckless and you were not triggered. And I'm sorry. Oh, bro, man, you don't look, dude. We are kicked it so many times. I often I, I joke around this because I talk to my wife about this sometimes uh, whenever we go back and forth and we text. I'm like, you know, that night when we sat down, we're at a bigger table and everybody was kicking it. And for me. A lot of times I think I recognize since I almost passed away when I was at the age of 21 and it took me, JP, it took me like a good seven years, two bouts of suicide that I was unsuccessful, wow. addiction to Oxycontin. I was buying Oxycontin off this 17 year old kid uh, living in the Lower East Side with three or four of my friends getting fucked up all the time. I was in a really bad place, but I think during that time, I started to recognize that people naturally try to build a bridge and your language was through your comedy, right? So it's sometimes almost like, I feel like I'm too complex for people because you can pick up on signs. And for me, when you made that comment, I was just like, oh, like he's just, you're just a diehard fucking Bulls fan. And it was through comedy. I'm like, he's just building the bridge. Like he actually really fucks with me. It just, in that moment, it didn't come out right. 
You know what yeah. I mean? And but you're a very aware dude. So it's funny, like, and you don't have to apologize to me because I think our friendship throughout the course of time has shown that to me exponentially more than yeah. an apology ever could. Yeah. But it's amazing how many times I meet people that all they want to do is build a bridge, but they're not somebody that I recognize and they weren't afforded the opportunity to have seven plus years of friendship to build off of. You know what I mean? It's so yeah. it's um, you never need to apologize. Do I see your spirit? I see your soul. I know who you are. And that's what I love about you. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's hard to build consistency when people are as busy as we are, but I always, you're one of those people in my life that no matter what, we always have a deep conversation. Even if we've only got a couple minutes, we get it in, which, which means the world to me. And, you know, it's interesting. I think to me, you're, you're one of these people, you're like a, you're like my spirit animal because you are one of the rare people that, you know, you were an elite athlete that w was, you know, so celebrated and your whole life took this shift and you ultimately embraced it and are now thriving in this lane and, you know, deservedly so. And, you know, it's so funny, like your success, one of the greatest lessons I've learned is another person's success will never take away from your own. And you, uh -huh. and I'm so happy for your success. And do you, do you, do you have a perspective now on, you know, cause you obviously didn't, when this happened to you, you wanted to kill yourself. And now, well, how do you see what happened to you and the trajectory of your journey? So this is where, this is one of those inflection points in the conversation where you and I dive even deeper because I think every time I would hit you, be like, yo, how are you? Like for me, a how are you doesn't come from a place of, hey, I'm good. Like if you were to ever just say to me like, hey, I'm good, I'm like, all right, like, yo, how are you though, JP? Like you've been through some shit, man. And I think that for me, there is a crazy level of appreciation of the shit that I've gone through because I am here, right? Like when I was, when I went through that rocky time in my life, like I didn't want to be here. And it wasn't until I started really, I'll be real with you, I was trying some way to course correct the conversation that was being had about me. Like when people, when I'll be walking down the street in New York City on the Lower East Side at, you know, I'll tell you a real story, JP. I went out one night and I was so high in Oxy and I was taking the subway home. And I decided while I was waiting for it to take a nap in the subway, I woke up, that was like three o'clock in the morning. I woke up at 1130 the next morning in the Lower East Side, like on the ground. I'm like, yo, where the fuck am I? What the fuck just happened? Like coming to grips about myself. And I, I think later that day, I started to recognize that I was doing anything and everything to run away from what happened to me. And it was the first time in my life I realized, yo, what happens if I start running towards it? If I just start owning my own shit? And I was trying to find a way to make money. And I was like, fuck it. 
gonna write a book. Now, I had an agent, I was making like $50,000 a year doing ESPN UTV. I was calling like shitty games on conferences that nobody paid attention to. I was traveling all over the place, sitting in the back of planes. People are like, yo, are you Jay? As I'm going to like economy seat 98B, the middle seat, right? <laughs> and um, I, I, I started asking people like, well, you know, we don't know if your story is good enough or, you know, your story seems very incomplete. And I found this one publisher that was like, screw it, we'll, we'll do it with you. And I actually started like trying to go back and revisit like all the shit that had happened to me in my life. And I remember I got through the first draft and I sent to Coach K and Coach K was like, yo, I'm handing you back this as an incomplete because you're mm -hmm. lying to people about who you are, but more importantly, you're lying to yourself about what you've lived and what you've gone through because you're not telling the truth about yourself. Mm. And the reality for me was that I lied a lot. I moved really fast. I, I love basketball. I wanted to be good, but like I didn't treat people the right way because I was too busy moving. I didn't think about how I was moving. I was just moving. I carried a lot of pain with me because my dad beat up my mom. My dad was in an executive in my company. That was an awkward kind of flip of roles because I was paying my dad, even though I had anger towards my dad because he beat up my mom. So the family dynamics were weird. I had been hurt for so long. My dad kept a salary for a long time because I was fucked up on medication, which is twisted within its own way when you're not sure your son's ever going to play a professional sport again and was a very high salary, which put me in debt. There was a lot of things that were happening, right? And when I finally was real with myself and I wrote it all out, when I just said, fuck it, and I gave it to the world, it was like the world just, boom, energy-wise. People were like, oh my God, like I'm going through something fucked up similar to that. The relatability happened because people saw that I was on this road where I was trying to process what the fuck had just occurred. Like we're all doing you know what I mean? Like everybody's in process, but people don't want to be open and candid about their process. So when you were going through your stuff, the conversations that we used to have about it, like that was your process, man. And why the hell would we run away from that when that's like, I, I hear you talk now, like that's, that's never the Jeremy Pyramid I would have heard 10 years ago. Like you wouldn't have had those experiences tap into the relate and even though it's tough going through it like that's your accident in a way you like you had your own accident man yeah for sure and but jp everybody has an accident in some form or fashion mm. some are just more extreme than the others you know but it's deep man it, it, it is and and thank you for being so honest man that was um that was amazing and and um uh the the title of your book is there are no accidents no, life is, is not an accident. Life is not an accident. Life is not an accident. Yeah, man. And I hope people run to to read that book because and that's so cool that you have that relationship with Coach K that um, that he can be that straight with you. We need people in, in, in our lives that can just give it to you straight. I, I you know, I, I, I thrive on that more than anything. I hate passive aggressive people that live in fear of, of confrontation and they'll say what they think that you want to hear because we don't grow from that. Mm. And they're everywhere. It's well, fucked up. I got a, you know, Kay has been, the, the, the leadership that he gave me in school for those three years, it's not even after that, man. Like I lived next to this dude for a year. 
of my life after I got hurt. Wow. So when you have somebody who is, and look, everybody has their stuff, but the, the, the cool thing about him is that there was a, a lot of a, a Kobe-like mentality where it was, my wife is this way too, JP, where it's every day, just every day, <laughs> every, day every day. And mm. it's like, how do you do this better? How do you do this better? How do you do this better? And at first I used to get annoyed by it. I'm like, yo, not everything needs to be so intense all the time. Like, <laughs> I'm a pretty laid back, chill dude. But there is something to be said about this drive that we have to be better at everything we do. Because if you don't have that kind of outlook, you can develop a tendency just to float. And my thing is when I start floating, I don't become present. And I feel like I'm doing a disservice to the opportunity that I've been given to even be here. And I'm not going to say I don't have my moments. We all do shit. But <clears throat> that's one thing I always give Coach K a lot of credit for, his ability to see what's right in front of him and be in it with that individual or those kids. Like, this was his last hurrah. Like, he had his last game. They lost in North Carolina. And one of the people says, you know, how do, how do you put in perspective your, your last season ever coaching? And he's like, how the hell can I answer that right now when I see my kids crying? Why are you? And I'm like, oh, my God, like, that's his genius. This reporter is trying to make it about Coach K and Coach K saying, no, it's about this moment for my kids because this is their moment. It's not my moment yet. I can reflect on my moment when all this shit is over months from now. This is their moment. Ask them about how reflective they are about their season. And that's something that people don't really do anymore. You know, they deflect from it. They run from it. And, and yes, and you're in a lane right now where it must be very difficult because the reality is these players see you as a peer and yet they have to be on their best behavior when they're being interviewed and you know that there's more there. And yeah, you, no, know, you, you know what I mean? So that must be a whole other, you know, be, listen, as you know, to go back to what we said, we're, we're living in these times where information is so accessible and people can be taken down for being misunderstood from a statement or whatever. So people are on their best behavior. And yet you have to extract meaning and, you know, and you, you, you do it better than anyone, but it still must be an interesting challenge for you. So I, you know, I had a really crazy one with KD and it still kind of fucks me up to this day, man, because first off, I got an opportunity to, to build something with him and Rich. And I, I really do love those two. Like they're my brothers, man. And Kevin Durant has one of the, the biggest hearts I've ever seen somebody have is is he touch and go with his attitude sometimes like when people say things yeah of course like he's human being right does he get annoyed easily yeah but like the dude would just sit there and watch tape of MJ all day long he loves his fucking craft man yeah like he's so passionate about it and and, and one of the regrets which it was hard because it was a lot of balance was you know obviously being in business with kd was like there was a holiday party that we all had 
And that day on TV, I had said, we were talking about Giannis. And I literally on my show, I was like, you know, it's as if Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant had a fucking baby. <laughs> right. And I'm just talking about physical shit, JP, like yeah. the length of Giannis, like he has a little bit of the KD, like I'm going to be the best. I'm going to run through the wall, but like the size and athletic ability of AD, right. Which is, it's a unique, they call him the Greek freak for a reason. Right. So like we're at the party and everybody's kicking it. And Kevin and I had like a moment where we had a conversation and pretty much my takeaway from the conversation was Kevin was like, yo, don't ever compare me to anybody. You know me, I'm different. Now, the timing of me telling the story was around the playoffs when Kevin Durant and Giannis were playing each other, right? So very poor timing <laughs> my part to even tell this story. Yeah. But I was trying to tell the story on air because I was relating KD more to he's the MJ of this era with how competitive he is. Mm. The drive, like even comparisons, like, don't, don't compare me to anybody, Jay. But like me going on air and saying that, I overstepped my boundary to a degree. Even though in my brain, I thought it was elevating Kevin Durant as somebody that competes. And, you know, he went on and then called me a fucking liar. And that turned into a really big thing. And him and I have never really even had like a real conversation about it up until this day. And so, yeah, navigating that, that space is hard because and, and, and by the way that's not going to be the last time you do that and 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 you're human and one of the many reasons people watch you and you're going to keep elevating and 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 growing and evolving in this lane is because of your insight how articulate and sensitive you are to it and these guys are your peers you're going to have honest moments thank god we want to see those I, I, you know, I gravitate towards KD. He and I, uh, you know, I can't, I can't articulate it. The same with you. He's one of these dudes, and thank God, who is as real as they come. He is the elite of the elite. You know, um, you know, to have a seven footer who can move like a guy who's five nine. I mean, my God! And then you look at him, you're like. He doesn't even look that physical, and he, I mean, it's just like there are these dualities that he has, which are insane, and yet he's one of these dudes who wears his heart on his sleeve in, in a time when people don't do that. You know, we don't really know who these people are. You know, they keep mm -hmm. that wall up. He's fascinating to me. You, you see him talking to the crowd. How can you work on that level, and yet... And, and be this genius and still be that human and accessible. I find him fascinating personally. And I hope you guys bury the hatchet. Um, you know, well, I, I think, I think in time it'll heal itself. Like, but like for me, I think I recognize it's like, you know, like my brother's guy named Scooter Braun and I see it similar with Justin Bieber, right? Like when you, when you're around these people who are in this and you, you've seen it too, JP, like being in Hollywood, like these people who are in this rarefied air, like when that trust is somewhat fractured, yo, it, it's easy to be like, yeah, create instant separation because you, your circle was only so big. And when somebody's allowed in your proximity yeah, and they see the human side of you, mm. right? Like that so gives you, themselves vulnerable. That so makes you vulnerable. Yeah. 
So you're saying that Katie ghosted you because of that? I think I think there was a line just of privacy that even though I think my story was trying to be told with good intent, that got that, that line got crossed. And I, I learned from that. That was tough for me. It was tough for me too, because yo, I got an ego. Like I'm crazy competitive. Like just because I don't play no more doesn't mean that I'm not ambitious in everything I do. Right. In building companies and investing in my media. So for me, like literally when he called me a fucking liar, like I thought about like, all right, what kind of person do I want to be? Like, do I want to be the person to inflame this more by attacking Kevin Durant in the media? Because I have a microphone in my face every day. Like, right. do I want to be that person that wants to perpetuate that? Or do I want to be the person that it was like, yo, I, I love KD. You know what? Okay. Like, that's me. Because he's a great person at the end of the day. But when your life is never normal, JP, like, how do you know? His life has never been normal. Like, it, it's, there's nothing about his life that is, where the, where the fuck can Kevin Durant go? and be normal no and also the reality is and you know this more than anyone he hasn't heard no since he was 13 you know in and and yeah and also he is yeah he is the second coming of mj and he's a seven footer you can't any any room he walks into that's kd there you're right there is no hiding um yeah man it's um it, it it's it's pretty fascinating, but I I hope you. It's interesting because in that moment, your ego could have taken over, and you could have easily said, "Fuck that! I didn't lie." You want to get into it? Let's get into it. You 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 could have been a slave to your ego. And by the way, we have one of the greatest examples of the result of that ever. Chris Rock could have laid into Will Smith verbally, verbally, Mm -hmm. and destroyed him. You know, one of the things that I'm a stand-up comic, one of the things that we're trained to do is to deal with hecklers and to be on your toes. He, you know, and and no one does it better than Rock. So there was a moment where he was going to lay into him, stopped, took a beat, and then continued his professional duty and took the high road. And because of that, He's already the goat. He was already selling out. His ticket sales tripled. Mm. He he will be he will be reaping the rewards of that moment for the rest of his life because he took the high road. It's not easy. Man, I, I mean, getting slapped on national TV, and then that man turns his back to you. I, I, I would have. They lucky it wasn't me. I mean, it, the, the Oscars would have been very different. <laughs> very different but it, it's well you but you say that and yet i you probably s- wouldn't have though i probably wouldn't have and you're 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 on a path now you say that because that's the competitive you but you say that but right now you know because you're in that lane every day and you're taking the high road and it would have been interesting to see how you dealt with it but jp no i i, I only say that joking but I, so here's what here's what I extrapolated from that. And this is how I transitioned it back to this with Katie. And I'm not saying that Katie is going through this, but everybody's going through something. Right. And for me, when I saw that, that was more of a reflection of what Will was going through with Jada in their relationship and the complexity with that. 
That was more, so that became a symptom of the bigger illness, right? And not illness is the wrong word, but like the the bigger challenge that they had. So also for me, like in that moment where do I turn into the media personality that gets I would get I would have gotten elevated if I had created that view with Kevin Durant. Like media loves that. Mm, yeah. Like I'm providing clicks if I right. go back and forth and then he responds and then I respond and I have courtside seats at a Brooklyn game and then it perpetuates and goes on and on and on. So like feeding into that system. But in my mind, I, I said, I'm like, all right, like obviously I made a mistake. I feel like Kevin Durant knows the character, the person I am, but maybe KD's going through something. Like maybe that's more of a symptom of a bigger thing that he's dealing with. And it, so I think when you try to get yourself outside of yourself and your own ego and emotions and try to go through what, try to recognize what other people are going through or try to relate, it does help you deal with situations with a little bit more grace. Don't go anywhere. How You Live in J-Pivot will be right back after we pay some bills. So you know what's really interesting? Um, I, I smoke cigars all the time, and, and everyone, if they're in a picture or whatever, someone says, hey, man, where'd you get those? And, uh, you know, I tell them and, you know, what my favorite cigars are. And then I just thought, you know what? I, because I'm very particular about my cigars. What is the best way to find a cigar that is really right for me, that I love, that has everything that I want? I really, I, I, wanna, I want an easy draw. There's some cigars, and I won't name any names, Cohiba, um, that are rolled, they're the best in the world, but they're rolled really tightly, and it's, it's hard to pull off them. And so I want like a really easy draw. I want that rich layered flavor. Listen, I went to the, the good people at Illusione. Dion over there is the man. He's a master blender and um, he worked with me and he's patient and I'm a little bitch. I kept saying, listen, man, I want, you know what I mean? A little more of the coffee flavor. You know what I'm saying? Can we get some layers here, an easier draw, whatever? And here we are, the J-Piv Robusto. I, I've, I never thought it would happen. I'm living the dream. Listen, LuxuryCigarClub.com is where you can order them. Uh, Illusioni makes them. They make them for me. It was a collaboration. I'm going to smoke one right now. If you guys send your review of the J-Piv Robusto, I will send you a free stick, and we shall raise one up together. I, I It's the least I can do. You guys send me a review and let me know what you guys think. I really want to know. And the great thing about the internet is they're brutal. So I'm going to get it, you know, hey, be careful what you wish for. I look forward to it. I, I believe in these. Jay Piver Busto. Thanks, you guys. I, I'll tell you another example. So Coach K retires. So we play this game on our radio show for four hours called um, Reckless Speculation, right? Where literally you just give, for a segment, you give some reckless speculation. And my thing is like, Coach K's coming back, right? Because one of their one of the top assistant coaches left. And so like I start building this case, having fun, right? And we do it every single hour. And then all of a sudden, but that gets clipped off, right? And when it gets clipped off and it gets put into a news outlet who then writes a story on it, but it doesn't provide the full context that we label they don't care the conversation as reckless speculation. Then I got, you know. Coach K and everybody like, yo, what's going on? Why would you say that this time? I'm like, but that's not even, wow. So 
if that's how I am and I feel media, like for people who everything they say, like for LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, another example, like yo, everything that dude says gets twisted, contorted to fit some narrative that helps elevate somebody else. And it, it, it's, a, it's a really shitty position to be in sometimes, you know, because you're like, do I, do I feed into this? Does this elevate my career if I do that? Or do I take the opposite side where I actually, no, I, I stand up for the player, but when you stand up for the player, that doesn't get the same amount of clicks that when you chop a player down does. So then people don't even hear you when you do stand up for them. They only hear you when that one out of every 75 times you say something that's slightly critical and then they attack you on it. You're like, well, hold on. Well, I'm to the 64 things I said before where I backed you, I fought for you. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it, it is, and, and it's it's a real test for us to not get reactive because it it, it's it's frustrating as hell. Believe me, man, I've been living it. How living... do you, I was gonna, how'd you deal with it? <sighs> well, you know, if 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 you're trying to make sense of it and look for logic, it, you're not going to find it. And so then if it makes no sense, I was taken down. It didn't make any sense. I was confused. I was shocked. I was hurt. And I knew intrinsically immediately I had to deepen my meditative practice. If I didn't meditate every morning, I would fall prey to the doubts and the fears and the voices and all that stuff. I I just knew it wasn't. I just got lucky that I just knew I heard a voice or I did whatever. I just knew immediately, like I need to to meditate every day and to and to and to stay present. Otherwise, I'm going to be in trouble because it made no sense what happened to me. I worked my entire life for something that was taken away, and and for nothing, and it made no sense, man. You know me. Yeah, I mean, this industry will it will make like, like I told one of my boys. I was like. They love you today. They hate you tomorrow. They love you today. They hate you tomorrow. Like there is this cycle that just exists where you're either getting reamed, you're getting inflamed by people on social media or they're praising you. And to find, for me, my balance is my kids. Like I got a little girl named Amelia. I got my son named Zane. I got a third one on the way. And for me, JP, like when I, when I hit that pole going 75 miles per hour, like my shit didn't work right for two years, man. Like two years. Like I had the things my boys would do to me, like try to take me to a strip club. And the girl like, oh, are you happy? I'm like, I got nothing for you. Like, like the psychological shit that that did to me. So the fact that now that I can have a family that regardless of whatever volatile um, roller coaster ride shit that happens outside my family home. Like when I get to my door, like I really try to close my eyes and just take a second and be like, I'm home. Like this is this is my like my safe haven. This is my meditation. Like let me help my daughter, you know, with her schoolwork or you know, watch a Paw Patrol with her or my son is saying dada right now. It, it's like, man, if I didn't have my family, I don't know where I would be. Yeah. Who are we yeah. dating these days? Do we have any prospects? I mean, 
I mean, last time, there always seems like there's always like this energy around you every time I'm with you. Like, it, it, like a, a really a great energy where it's it's funny for me because like we'll just be kicking it. And like, I'm a point guard at heart, man. I, I could see the floor. And I'd see the way like girls look at you and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, that's hard within itself because you don't know who wants to know you for you instead of who wants to know you for the persona or perception of you. Am I projecting or is there an element of truth to that? I think you're pro- I think you're projecting and I think you are a point guard, but you're also kind of this weird Buddha and a point guard. So you have you see things that I I may not you know how like healers are able to heal other people but they can't heal themselves or see it themselves. Like I don't it's interesting. I didn't get for for so long, people, you know me, and people thought that who I am is an act mm-hmm. and who they saw me portray is the real me. And so it was kind of like, I had this one woman just circle my face and go, what's this nice guy shit? Drop it, just drop it. And I'm literally just going, what is she talking about? I was just so confused. Like what, uh, what you know what I mean? Like what is happening yeah. here? So- you know, listen, I, I'm not uh, playing the victim or saying, you know, uh, but I, I'm I'm a I'm a late bloomer. I would I, I have been a, a, as an actor and growing up in an acting family. The idea of turning down work is sacrilegious. So I, I've been lucky enough to work my entire life until things were taken away. Um, you know, I tell this joke on stage. I go into being single and talk about it, but I say that like, you know, people want to know why I'm still single. And I tell them I've been married to my work and then my work decided to see other people. And, you know, um, so basically, you know, life will do that to you so that, you know, and I now have a greater and, and clearer take on the totality of our of our journey and how important it is. I come from an, an incredible family, you know, and was was very lucky and want one really badly. And and yet I need to um stop looking for it. Cause I think when you're when you're that intense and looking for it, it's it's it it's not really the right energy. Yeah, but it's great to hear you manifest it, man. Like hearing you say that into a microphone is really dope to hear because a lot of people. Oh wait, this is a microphone. Co- oh shit, we're recording. <laughs> oh, damn. God recording. damn it. <laughs> damn it. It's uh, that's really cool though, man. Like uh, it's just, I think I'm a firm believer, yo. I speak things into existence mm. all day, every day. Okay. And I, it, it's like, I think I even even as I've gotten older, I've like, oh okay, I gotta find, I gotta crystallize what I ask for. Like I think it's okay to be specific with what you want. And I'm not saying speaking into existence where you always have to talk about it every single time, but I, I think carrying that energy and, and projecting that into things that you do, all of a sudden you start living your life with a little bit more intent. It's like being on the court. Coach K would always say this to me, where he's like, yo, you're just on the court. Like you're not lost in it. Like I need you to be lost in it. And I'm like, what the fuck? 
fuck does he mean? Be lost in it. And you realize, I was like, oh, so now that's my mission to find out how I become one with the game. Like what gets me to a place where I can become one with the game, which for me, one with the game means when a fucked up play happens, I'm not focused on what happened. I'm focused on what's going to be, what is now, right? By saying, okay, that happened. But I, if I start looking at what happened, I'm not focused on what I need to do, what's in my best interest for right now. And I think hearing you, you're at that sweet spot where it's like, you're becoming one with the game, dude. You're seeing the court differently. The game is slowed down, but everybody has their own pace in which they play this game of life, you know? Yeah. I'm on my yeah. Buddhist shit today. I'm no, on my Buddhist shit. No, no, I love, I love it. I love it. And, and it, 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 you know, to go back to the sports analogy, you see these guys who are elite players and, you know, a play happens that, you know, didn't happen the way they want it to happen. They're shaking their head and they're not getting back on defense. And you're thinking, wow, you're better than that, you know, because they're having that moment. And it's exactly the opposite of what you're talking about which is being present enough to not beat yourself up to be to immediately get back in that flow and right the wrongs in whatever way possible and be de and, and be immersed in it. And yeah, because not a lot of people can relate to being the man in the arena. Like you're a man in the arena, man. People, it's, you know, you getting up there and, 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 and doing your comedy, like that's, that's a rarefied air that not everybody can understand what comes along with that so it's always interesting when i hear all these people that have never done it and all of a sudden want to start throwing their two cents into about how i should do it i have to take a second to say you oh shit you haven't done this before like you're not an expert on this like i am so yeah i, I shouldn't beat up on myself because at least there's intent with how i'm moving Absolutely. Clarity of intent. It's all about that clarity of intent, man. Um, I, I want this to be an ongoing conversation. Can it be? Always. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, mean, man. Look, whenever I would love to come back to like whenever you are literally, I mean, look, if you're telling me if this entourage next issue happens, I mean, can I get a little <laughs> I get a little cameo. Can I? Can I get a little spot? Can I get something in there? Like say hi. I I think you. I I think um. I can see you. Um. Yeah, it's interesting, man. You know, you're you're one of those rare people where you're uh you're so divorced from your ego that I could see you learning something very fast. Like I could see you, you know, playing a manager or an agent or an advisor and me being able to talk to you instead of like doing a cameo as Jay coming in, whatever, I can see you assimilating certain. JP, don't hype me up. Don't hype me no, up. No, no, no. I can see it. I'm not just saying it. I could, I could definitely see it. You have to understand I've, I've taken, I saw common on stage had never acted in his life. And I saw him on stage and went, Oh no, no, no. He's this, this guy's an actor. He's never done it before, but this guy, this guy has a certain presence, and also it's it's not just presence or intelligence or or talent. It's also the ability to be humble and to and and to really want to learn and grow and evolve. 
And you have that. I mean, that's what you've been doing in this lane. And that's why you're crushing it so hard. Well, look, man, like I've, I've always been, I was always been a fan of you as an entertainer. I think that night that we met, I quickly started to become a fan of who you are as a person, dude. And the fact that we have randomly bumped into each other at some of the most <laughs> random fucking places and they've turned into epic evenings. Yeah. Like that's, that's serendipitous shit to me. Like that's, uh, so anytime you need me, man, anytime. Okay. Well, I'm heading East, so get ready. It's happening. Wait, is this like an official thing? Like, oh, like a real, like you're like you're living in the East or are you just coming East for a little bit? Well, I mean, Listen, if it wasn't for my mother, the only reason I'm in L.A., to be honest with you, is because my mom. I'm a mama's boy. I'm about to see her today. You know, she's so she, she's the greatest. She's the coolest. She was she runs lines with me to this day. We were we were running lines and I was playing a it's so funny, a hardcore Boston racist. Oh my oh. God. And, and I asked Terrence, I, I was crazy, man. What, you know, it's, it's about, it's about the dismantling of segregation in 1974. And I asked Terrence Howard, the movie will be out in like June. And I asked Terrence, I was like, man, what, what do you think about oh. this? I said, what do you think about this? He said, you better lay into it. You better lay into it. Show this guy because there's no halfway, you know what I mean? So like yeah. you have to show these people, existed you know what i mean there's and no I, halfway racist no no i mean it's crazy because i had never i had never said the word out loud and i had oh. to i had to say it and say it with brothers on the crew holding a bounce card two inches from me and say the n-word and like and my mother who is running lines with me um is doing the boston accent and i recorded it showed it to the director and he goes who's that I go, that's my mom. He goes, she's incredible. Would she play your mom? I was, I was like, yeah, <laughs> let me ask her. Nope. Yeah. So she ended up playing this character. And it's, I, I think there's something, I don't know what the word is. Serendipitous something about two people who are the antithesis of racist playing, racist. playing these people, you know, um, and you can't you you can't judge your characters because if I judge my character, I couldn't play him. I could never go near him, you know. And that's why I was able to play Ari because if you if no one when you play a character, no one is the devil in their own story. So they're telling themselves a different story. You know what I mean? So I mean, this is layered and weird and and whatever. But um, let's let's go full circle. Don't pull a knife unless you're going to use it. Anytime you want to work together, let's do it. I'd be honored because you've been a mentor to me. I'd be honored to, to work with you in any form if you want to if you want to approach that lane. Done, man. When you come to New York, let me know. I'm going to take you to dinner at my restaurant. It's called The Cabin. We'll have a good time. I want you to meet my wife. And let's kick it, man. Let's, we'll love it. Let's do it. Thank you for taking the time, man. It's meant a lot to me. I'll see you very soon. I appreciate you, JP. Thank you, Jay. How You Live in J. Piven is a cast original podcast in association with Common Enemy. Producer is Kyle Tequila. Theme song by Common. To leave a message for Jeremy, go to speakpipe.com slash jpiven. Catch all new episodes of How You Live in J. Piven every Wednesday on YouTube and everywhere you get your podcasts.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.